Now, one of my first questions, and I already know the answer to this, so I can't wait for you to share it, is where are you right now and what are you wearing so we can picture you in our minds? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, out with it. I've just come back from the ocean and I've just come back from doing Kung Fu, so I am nude. (laughs) 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 But I do do have a little collection of shawls that I throw over myself in the case that I am on a podcast or in a meeting. Yes. <laughs> Today's shawl is turquoise. <laughs> oh, that's my favourite colour. And where are you? Are you in your house? I, I am at home, yes. Beautiful. And that's in Sydney, isn't it? Yes, I, I live a few minutes away from um, Bondi Beach. So there's a little uh, secret area that I like to hang out um, with not very many items of clothing and um, <laughs> I read, I study, I, I work there. Um, why, why spend all our time indoors when we can access nature's medicine? Hi, I'm Katrina Blowers and you're listening to Claiming Your Confidence, conversations where we pull back the curtain on what it takes to live your most confident life. I'm a journalist and TV newsreader and I've been in the fire and come out the other side. I had a panic attack live on television, (laughs) yep, a few years ago. And the funny thing is of the hundreds, possibly even thousands of people I've interviewed over the years, confidence isn't something any one of them was born with. So what separates those who refuse to let that self-doubt hold them back? Let's find out. A best-selling author, an award-winning businesswoman, a mum, a mentor and a coach, Pauline Nguyen is proof you can rewrite your own story no matter what. What's the first law of attraction? Become attractive! (laughs) She escaped Vietnam on a boat, survived a Thai refugee camp and transformed the experience of an abusive childhood into a gift. My healing is literally that I have had a happy childhood. With her brother, Luke, Pauline owns the iconic Red Lantern restaurant in Sydney. In this episode, you'll learn about calm courage, why confidence is a callous, why Pauline and her partner choose polyamory, and how she got over her severe stage fright. I I froze on stage so many times because of all the trauma that I had not healed. So here is the incredible Pauline Nguyen on claiming her confidence. Perfection is is not my thing. Excellence is, but not perfection. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I'm a recovering perfectionist now. That's how I like to put it. (laughs) It's taken many years, let me tell you. (laughs) Um, Pauline, I'm so thrilled to be talking with you. As I mentioned, I just finished reading your book this morning and a lot of people find it really hard to find their voice as, as a writer. And I know this isn't your first book, but what I really loved about your book is it felt like you were in the room with me. I really felt this strong sense of your personality speaking to me from every page. And I know that's really hard to get right. So well done. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, Katrina, thank you so much for having me. It is my joy to be here. I love that you said that about the book because one of the first sentences is um, you think that you've chosen the book. No, no, no. The book has chosen you. 
<laughs> they do say that, that books show up and, and teachers show up in your life when you actually need them. And it's funny how when you ignore that little nudge, you suddenly start seeing signs of that person or that book or that movie or whatever it is everywhere. Then you're like, okay, I'm listening now. Yes. You have the most incredible life story and it spans, I think, you know, generations. Uh, you say that you have had an extremely violent childhood and what you most remember about that is the overwhelming stench of fear. And then you became an awkward teenager and my heart just went out to you the way that you spoke about having low self-esteem and being teased at school. And by 17, you were suicidal and severely depressed. But you also say that it's never too late to have had a happy childhood. Yes. Just deconstruct that for us. Speaking from the point of view of an uh, adult now who's done a lot of work, so I no longer speak from the point of view of the injured duckling. Um, it's never too late to have had a happy childhood. What does this mean? It means that when it starts with a decision that I am tired of this viewpoint, I want now to have a new outlook in life. I now want to have a new viewpoint in life. Only then can we open the doors to healing. What does it mean to heal? It means the opposite of I was scared, I am no longer scared. I was angry, I am no longer angry. I am traumatized, I'm no longer traumatized. The, the, the healing means to have the opposite of. And so my healing is literally that I have had a happy childhood. And we're not living in a world of delusion. We're understanding that those things happened so long ago. They happened so long ago. And we have the choice to say, hey, do I from this point on decide to be the victim or the beneficiary? Can you imagine if we lived in a world of beneficiaries and not of victims? And so I decided that that all those things that I experienced in my childhood was my training. How could I possibly teach and uh, become and uh, inspire the way I do now and with all the um, teaching and coaching and mentoring I do now unless I'd gone through that? And so by reframing that and seeing that as my training, by deciding that I will continue to rewrite my stories, I will continue to remain interesting so that I have interesting stories to tell. You cannot be an interesting person with interesting stories to tell if you don't do interesting things. <laughs> and so we have the ability to reprogram our mind and rewrite our stories to have whatever childhood and whatever history we like so I'm not denying that it happened I'm, I'm purely saying that it happened in that space in time I no longer carry it to this space in time and so we become the masters of our destiny rather than the victims of our history Mm. for people listening who may have had some trauma of their own in their childhood it's it's easy I think to think of it in a headspace of I'm going to reframe this, but how do you then do it from the heart? It's a cultivation of a practice and it, the first is the decision to never underestimate the power of a decision and then the permission 
the permission then must be given to, yes, I do need assistance with this. I cannot do it on my own. I, I have the assistance of plenty of mentors, plenty of teachers, plenty of coaches, as well as the peer group. And so we understand also that this is a lot of what I teach. It is not only about mindset. It's also about the heart set. How much do you love? How much do you forgive? It's also about your health set. You know, people say, I value health. Really? What is on your to-do list, on your daily uh, to-do list that requires you to do maybe some exercise or eat well or go out into nature? Oh, it doesn't. Okay, perhaps you need to have a look at that. Um, and, you know, having looking after the health, I don't do any exercise anymore that takes my energy. Um, I now do um, Jigong, I do martial arts, I do Kung Fu, all the things that allow me to uh, uh, gain energy, yoga, Pilates. Um, and then, of course, there is the spirit, the soul set. Uh, how are you feeding your soul? Um, our soul is the navigator the, of, of our transformation. How are you remaining in spirit and inspired? Is playfulness a part of your character? Is experiencing joy a part of your day? Um, if not, perhaps you need to have a look at that. So all of those things, what do they do? They allow us to experience elevated emotions, which puts us in a higher frequency so that the doors to opportunity and the doors to allowing people to come into our orbit, one, if we give them permission to assist us. And then once we're um, uh, healed from the trauma, and what's the first law of attraction? Become attractive. <laughs> mm. and, and that's not just in looks, right? That is the words you speak, the energy you emit. Um, no one likes to be hanging around a boring, depressed person, right? Of course, we must feel it in order to heal it. And so we are meant to be here to experience the full gamut of emotions. But how long we stay in those emotions, how long we stay in those memories, that's what's going to define us. And so I teach that we stay in those emotions, those very real, raw emotions, to do two things. One, to learn from it. And two, to do what needs to be done. And then we acquire the tools to get out of that limited emotion and access more of the elevated emotions because only then will you be in a heart space, a mind space, a health space, and a spirit space to activate more of the healing, to magnetize more of the opportunities, to attract more of the people into your orbit who are going to get you to where you want to go faster, whether that be the road of healing or to be more um, uh, impactful, to push forward humanity, or to better your professional life, or to purely um, expand your uh, worldview. There's a quote by Steve Jobs, which I really love, and it talks about how you can't join the dots looking forward. You have to look back in order to to join those dots and make sense of them. Absolutely. And for you, for you writing that first book, um, Secrets of the Red Lantern, my goodness, didn't that set in motion a whole chain of events? First of all, um, allowing yourself to heal from your childhood and confronting your father with what had happened from your perspective – 
And second of all, it set you on the path of becoming a speaker because you then had to do all of those writers' festivals yes. and, uh, and, and now becoming a coach and a workshop facilitator. Isn't it, isn't it peculiar how that one thing unlocked so much for you in your life? Yes, and uh, understanding that we, especially with where the collective consciousness is going, and, you know, you hear so many people say, we are uh, humans here to have a soul experience. I don't believe that is the case. The case is that we are souls here to have a human experience without the physical. How does a soul grow and evolve, um, obviously through reincarnation and, and lifetimes, but the soul needs the physical body in order for it to grow. The soul's purpose is to evolve. And when we can get that, when we really, really get that, it changes the game. And there's a new reverence that we have for this glorious physical body that our soul chose, this glorious physical body and all its um, deliciousness and desires and um, experiences, you know, it's the, the soul needs that, that physical body to go for that job interview or to pick up the phone and call that guy or girl that you have the hots for and ask them out on a date. You know, the soul needs the physical body to hug someone they love, to experience all the um, lows and the highs and the natural vicissitudes of life. And so in that respect, we have to go through all these emotions. And the soul calls us, it's that inner voice that you spoke of earlier, and that inner voice said, you've got to write this book. <laughs> you know? and I had no idea how to write a book. I, you know, I, I did the usual thing that entrepreneurs do and just um, uh, find a way in. And uh, it's not even um, fake it till you make it. It's what have I got to lose? What have I got to lose? And then um, having the publishers um, push me out into the, um, the, the speaking circuit and I was, I froze on stage so many times because of all the trauma that I had not healed. What was that like, freezing on stage? That must have been a, a dreadful experience. Well, it was because I hadn't, I hadn't integrated all that trauma. And so, um, shaking on stage and it's, it's got to manifest somehow. It has to manifest somehow. And it was only when I gave permission for people to assist me when I made the decision, I would never want to be like this again. You know, and so the, the soul says, okay, Pauline, you now need to go out and, 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 and become a speaker. And I'm, I'm, I'm now an international speaker and we, we have to listen to that inner voice. We have to have listened to that inner calling and to have the courage and the confidence. And what is confidence? Confidence is a callus. It's a callus. It's not a destination. It's not to say, when I am confident, therefore I will be a speaker. You have to build on that callus. And so the, when, when, when the confidence is no longer a limitation, it's no longer something that you have resistance to, but something that you welcome, uh, wow, the opportunities are endless. And, and to chunk it down, what is courage or what is lack of courage? Lack of courage is 
lack of knowledge. Knowledge also um, includes lack of experience. Man, I've experienced that paralysis before. What am I going to keep doing so that I don't do that again? How much more understanding can I can I acquire? And so if if confidence or lack of confidence is lack of knowledge, then acquire the knowledge, acquire the experience, and therefore the um, confidence um, will, 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 will increase naturally. And I think a lot of people are are resistant to it because it's that feeling we get in the pit of our gut. Um, you know, I haven't done this before. I'm scared. I'm going to resist it. Whereas that feeling in your gut or wherever you feel it, whether it be in your head or your shoulders, that's your soul saying, come on, you're only feeling this because you've never done it before. This is what I love, and you write about how where fear resides, there is gold. What you are afraid to do is a clear indication of the next thing you need to do. And getting back to speaking, I think if for many of us, getting up on stage and freezing on stage, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, I never want to go through that again. But yeah. you see it in a different way. Yes. The, the fact that I made the decision of, I never want to go, it's not I never want to speak on stage again. It is I never want to be this person on stage again. I don't want to be here again. What do I need to do to not be here again? And so I gave permission for speaking coaches, um, NLP coaches to help me address whatever it is that I've been resisting all these years and, and is, you know, dying to bubble up and manifest. And so it's, it, it's not that, um, I, I, now I need to acquire the skills so that I'm not this person again, because the audience doesn't deserve to see me like this. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's a great way of looking at it. You were just talking then about what stops people when they feel that horrible feeling of, fear in the pit of their stomach and you talk about other entrepreneurs and how a lack of success can jolt their self-esteem and negative assessment from others makes them feel less than or looked down upon or unloved and so they work even harder, try even harder and still they don't make it and it's this vicious cycle that ends up destroying their lives. Why do you think so many people fall into that cycle of letting what other people think of them control them? Okay, so um, one of the things that I avoid doing is um, mind reading and speaking from what other people may or may not think because I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't really want to mind read. Are you okay if I spoke from my direct experiences? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Cool. So um, one of the uh, biggest uh, realizations that we had. Uh, as entrepreneurs and, you know, my brother Luke, famous chef, does what he does, Mark does what he does, you know, he's a huge advocate for um, sustainability, the ethics of what we eat, which is very much what Red Lantern is about. And so one of the things that we, uh, we, we absolutely do is that we understand that the life we live are the lessons that we teach. So we can only teach from direct experience because um, we have sat in the discomfort of the fire <laughs> we have fallen to our knees time and time and time again and um, which is why we can um, uh, do what we do now because we've we've been through it um, we're, we're not subject matter experts we're life experts we're CEOs who have been in the trenches and so um, the time and time again I'm assisting entrepreneurs who are tired of doing things the old way and of seeing things the old way where entrepreneurship 
uh, or business is um, uh, a pissing contest. <laughs> um, it leads to uh, burnout. Um, it leads to ill health. Um, there's a, a lot of my clients who come to me with chronic pain from um, absolute incongruence. Um, a lot of clients come to me with um, uh, psychological issues and I said, look, I'm not a psychotherapist, dude. And I said, yeah, but I need, I've been seeing a therapist for, you know, five or six years and it's not working. And then a few sessions with, with myself and, and joy is their new, um, is joy is their new compass. It's a beautiful piece. And so, um, the way of the spiritual entrepreneur, uh, my first book, as you were talking, the secrets of red lantern is very much a dark and personal, uh, family memoir disguised as a cookbook so people would buy it. Um, uh, it worked a treat. Um, and so this book is very much um, a book about magnifying human potential, alleviating suffering disguised as a book about a spiritual entrepreneur. Um, what is, I, I, I truly believe that the happiness industry has a lot to answer for. Just, just as the sleep industry, that it's it, we're not meant to be happy twenty four seven, and this is the first resistance when the entrepreneurs, when the business people come and say, "What's wrong with me, Pauline? I'm meant to be happy, but I'm not." It's like you, you, happiness. You know that happiness is fleeting, right? And uh, happiness is um, uh, is a how the world, how the universe responds to how you are. We're here to experience the full gamut of emotions. How long you stay in there is what's going to define you. And so the, um, um, the, my title, the book is called The Way of the Spiritual Entrepreneur, The Seven Secrets to Becoming Fearless, Stress-Free and Unshakable in Business and in Life, Understanding that Spirituality has nothing to do with religion. Uh, spirituality is simply physics that has yet to be explained. It is religion that needs spirituality. Spirituality doesn't need religion. And so now it's not about achieving. Our soul, the universe, does not want us to achieve. It wants us to grow. It wants us to evolve. It wants us to push forward our own species. It wants us to push forward humanity, but it wants us to do it in a state of joy. Mm. And so spirituality means to be in spirit and inspired. Do you think that if we live our lives deliberately in spirit and inspired, asking ourselves this question every day, what do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel? Oh, do I access nature's medicine? Do I um, tap into my sexiness? Do I hang around spirited people? Do I eat good food? Do I um, teach my body emotionally the emotions I want to feel? Do you think that if we live our lives every day asking ourselves, that question we will be in a state of grace in a state of mind in a state of heart and a state of spirit to do our best work as entrepreneurs and as business people of course we are because we were in elevated states and then we become magnets to attract not only opportunities but people in our orbit to help us to get to where we want to go faster so people don't have business problems or work problems they have personal problems that reflect in their business and their work and so I've come to realize having worked with so many entrepreneurs and executives that there is a different kind of suffering and it's been misdiagnosed as psychological suffering it's a spiritual suffering a suffering of the soul and I've experienced that those who are the most spiritually bankrupt are those 
who suffer the most. And so happiness alone ain't going to solve your business problems, right? Happiness alone ain't even going to solve um, it, it. Happiness is is not the the greatest orientation to strive for, but fearlessness in business and in life that's a much more powerful trait. How can we understand the biological tools so that we can uh, be fearless? so that we can stress less. How can we understand ourselves so incredibly deeply, incredibly deeply? Now, this doesn't mean uh, um, um, to, you know, shut our eyes and our ears to the natural vicissitudes of life, but how can we understand ourselves so deeply that we are unshakable um, in the face of adversity? And that does not mean to be emotionless. I, I cry all the time. I cry at, you know, the, the, the beauty of the flower. I cry at every sunrise. You know, it's not, it's not, um, unshakability does not mean being emotionless. It's having absolute self-mastery. You know, we, we, um, so many people do uh, martial arts and uh, self-defense. What about self-defense, emotional defense to yourself, your, your, your inner work, your, um, your inner art? Um, that's what unshakability is. So, um, fearlessness, stress freeness, unshakability, they're much, much more powerful traits. And I've come to understand that it's not the pursuit of happiness. It's finding happiness in the pursuit. Um, and when we understand that we are a soul having a human experience, the soul needs this human form in order for it to elevate and evolve. Then we really start to understand to give life to life. I'm Katrina Blowers, and you're listening to Pauline Nguyen on Claiming Your Confidence. Stick around because we are about to discuss what happened the one time I posted a bikini shot on Instagram and why Pauline doesn't believe in monogamy. I want to go back to something you just said about tapping into your sexiness and we were having this little chat just before we started recording about that's one of the things that I love about you following you on social media is you are completely unafraid to tap into your own sexiness and show that to others Uh, and we were talking about how I had posted a bikini picture on Instagram and got like a little bit of negative feedback about you know people saying you're a newsreader you shouldn't be posting bikini pictures (laughs) For many of us, and I think particularly for women, for women as we get older and we want to portray, and and for men too, we want to kind of portray ourselves as being successful and, and having the world take us seriously, I think we lose the confidence to tap into our sexiness. What would you say about that? It's all fear fear driven, right? People are always afraid of what they don't understand. And so uh, a lot of, I say this um, phrase often, what does it matter? <laughs> what does it matter what they think? Yeah. What, 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 what does it matter? I once had um, a gentleman when I released uh, The Way the Spiritual Entrepreneur, he had, uh, he was really impacted by the book and he asked uh, a friend if she could introduce us, and we had a dinner at Red Lantern. And he was so inspired and so enamored, and he wanted to hold um, various 
know, charity dinners at, at the Red Lantern. And he'd asked me if I wanted to do some keynotes, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, I'm very happy to assist you. Um, and thank you for wanting to expose the way of the spiritual entrepreneur and Red Lantern to your various charities. And he um, requested uh, friendship on my social channels, you know, a, a conservative older man. And then he had decided then and there that I am not that person. So, okay, so... Uh, obviously, I didn't ask him these questions because what does it matter? But this was the uh, conversation I had with my friends because so he already had an expectation. So he or he already had a concept of what it means to be spiritual, to walk around in monk's robes, <laughs> to, to, to be, uh, you know, uh, probably vegan and meditating all day. He, uh, he doesn't understand that we are here to have the human experience, to have the full deliciousness mm. of what it means to be human. We are human beings. We're not human doings and we're certainly not human done. And so um, he decided then and there that I did not meet his expectations and uh, canned the the, um, the charity events. And it's like, oh, that's what does it matter? That's okay with me. Um, yeah. But um, who who had those expectations? So your your person who said you're a newsreader, you're not meant to be in a bikini. Also, oh, what on the beach you're expected to wear your I'm like, should I have been in a power suit? What, yeah, what was he course, expecting? Of course. Uh, and, and, and have all your notes and, and your microphone there too. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so it's that whose expectations? Oh, they were your expectations. Oh, okay, you can have those expectations back. You own those expectations. They are your expectations. They are not my expectations. And uh, and so we, 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 we pass the responsibility and the ownership back to the person who had the expectations. Um, and uh, to, to what does it matter? And so often, so often it is not that we are afraid of what people think. It's we are afraid of what we think that they will think of us. Mm. And so what if that shifted? Mm, that's so good, Pauline. Another area that I think I would I would absolutely love to talk to you about, which I know you have discussed before, is your view on monogamy and and commitment. And you talk about this in a blog post, which I really encourage everyone to read on your website, which I'll link to in the show notes. And you talk about how your partner, Mark, and you have been together for 18 years. He's the father of your children. While you're not married, you still call him your husband. Um, You are committed to building a future for your children and you're committed to the sustainability of our union, but you are not committed to the bullshit system of monogamy. Now, what I want to talk to you about here is first of all, how you found the confidence to decide that that's the conventions of society were not something that you wanted to buy into. And the second part, which I've been thinking a lot about, is when you first began exploring polyamory, how did you find the confidence to hold your own knowing that you were 
still, I suppose, the, the sanctity of your union was still there, even though you were each seeing other people. I think a lot of people would struggle with that self-esteem side of things. My first part of the question is, where did you find the confidence to decide that you wanted to reject the notion of monogamy? Because I think, I think that takes a lot of confidence. Uh, more so because it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, the whole notion of you are my soulmate, you are my one and only till death do us part. I would personally prefer not to die. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to wait for death. Um, and um, one man, one woman, for better or for worse, uh, actually makes me shudder with dread. Um, it's not practical. It's not natural. And it simply doesn't make sense. We are, um, you are happy in, in your path. I am happy in my path. Let us be happy on our individual paths together, together. Um, it's often the case though, because of societal paradigms that those who are in uh, monogamous relationships look at those who are in anything else but and they say you're doing love wrong <laughs> so, am I <laughs> um, so if sustainability and commitment is more important then you know Mark and I have been it's 20 years now and we're committed to our commitments um, our commitments to the business our commitments to our children and um, commitment is not uh, um, synonymous with exclusivity at the beginning, what I'm what I'm curious about is at the very beginning when you first started exploring this as a as a concept and a way of life, was there did you have to dig deep to find the confidence to or the self esteem to know that even though Mark was seeing other people or you were seeing other people for him, that you were each still um, committed to each other. You know, I think that's where a lot of people's minds would go is, oh, are they going to like that other person more than me? Are they going to be attracted to that person more than me? Uh, I can't speak for what other people will think. It wasn't even a confidence um, part for myself, Katrina. It was, it simply was, it just is. And that that conversation about, you know, liking men, women and polyamory is not, you know, uh, uh where sluts that sleep around, it's the ability to love more than one. It's the ability to love more than one. It's not to have as many um, partners as possible. That is the, what polyamory is. And so um, we negotiated um, togetherness as well as separateness. And there is, uh, you know, when, it, when people often ask about the jealousy and the, um, you know, all, all the murkiness, it's but what jealousy and what murkiness if it's a straight-up conversation and there's no um, uh, gratuitousness or um, pedestrian conversations or anything to do with that. And um, it's a different paradigm. It's a different understanding. And, of course, um, we're intelligent enough to know that this is not the mainstream paradigm. But what does it matter what other people think? What does it matter? Mm, mm. I love that you write about it uh, on your blog and, uh, you know, I think it's a beautiful resource for anyone thinking that they would like to explore this as a concept or a way of life. So, as I said, I'll link to it in the show notes. Sure, thank um, you. And it is, it is 
it's not for everyone. <laughs> it's it's not for everyone. It there's a, it takes. Well, a, neither is monogamy, it, well, <laughs> which but, is clear. Yeah, and it's the well, who are you kidding? You know, I, and people who say, you know, you're my best friend, you're my one and only, you're my soulmate. It's like, man, let your best friends be your best friends. You know, I, I have don't be so. And then we, oh, we can talk for hours about codependence and insecurity and all that stuff that comes. Um, and uh, yeah, people who judge the most are always the ones who feel the most judged, right? Yes, absolutely. And you know, you just have to look at the which you mention in your blog. You just have to look at the divorce rates or the yes. the number of people who have affairs to to know that you know, monogamy can be flawed for many couples and we just probably think we need to accept it because everybody else is. <laughs> yes. Uh, in the blog I do I do write about um, um, what um, Yuval Noah Harari wrote uh, it's, it's in his book um, uh, Sapiens. It's a brief history of humankind. And there is evidence there that 10,000 years ago we all lived in uh, relationships um, that were in egalitarian polyamorous tribes. And it was it's only you know in uh, what we what we call uh, recent times that the notion of um, marriage uh, has put a new slant to this. And everyone lived in the tribes, and they were in communes, devoid of um, privacy and and private property and monogamous relationships. Um, women could have sex and form intimate bonds with not only several men but also several women. And then um, ultimately, they shared the responsibility of uh, co-parenting. They shared the responsibility of community, and so no man um, really knew which child was his. So what did they all do? They all looked after the youngsters in equal uh, um, love and strength and support. Well, we were talking earlier about how for you, many people say to you, you know, with with tapping into your sensuality and celebrating that in your social media, that they say you've given them permission to explore that side of themselves. I think I really applaud you by speaking so openly about this. I think you'll give so many other people permission to go against the norm and start Perhaps, you know, it's scratching that itch if they've had a, some questions around whether monogamy is right for them. So, again, well done, Pauline. Um, I want to talk to you about the pain of regret. This really, really resonated with me. This is a huge value of mine. Mm. Um, there was a, a quote that you included that honestly hit me like a lightning bolt and it was, someone once told me the definition of hell on my last day on earth, the man I became will meet the man I could have been. Oh my goodness, so powerful. I'd love you to talk about your experience uh, working in the hospice in early 2000. What did that teach you? That there were a lot of people who um, regretted not doing the things that they wanted to do. Um, it wasn't, the, more of the stories weren't about what they regretted that they did. It was regretting what they didn't do because of fear of what people think or fear of failure or whatever it is. It's all fear, right? It's all fear. And um, the reason why I'm very adventurous, the reason why I have this constant value of 
evolution, consistent evolution, um, consistently following uh, my soul's purpose, following that desire to learn new things and experience new people. I, I don't want to have the pain of regret in my dying day. Um, our, our children are watching us. Um, the people who we inspire are watching us. Um, we are all here to experience and give life to life. We're here to go on those adventures. We're here to tell those people that we love them, you know, and, and being in that hospice and um, just talking to all the old people as well as the sick people and I, my own experience of uh, my biggest regret for myself, and I can say this with absolute passion, my biggest regret is um, when my grandmother died. I was a naive, self-absorbed teenager, and um, I didn't have the tools or the understanding or the knowing of what it means to support, care for, or even try to understand someone who was declining big time and, and ultimately died of dementia. And I still carry that regret when I think about it. I have done the work to integrate it and uh, forgive myself. But that pain in those years, that was huge. That was huge. I don't want to experience that again. Mm, I think it takes something like that, doesn't it, to galvanise you to never live a life of regret again. I had a similar experience. My grandma died when I was 18 and I too was pretty self-absorbed and also didn't really appreciate that, you know, life life ends probably when you least expect it. And my grandma died unexpectedly. I had been putting off calling and visiting her. I felt incredibly guilty about it and I had written her quite a long letter to try make up for the fact that I'd missed all these uh, commitments to her that I had made and she died and when I went to her house the letter was still in the letterbox she'd never received it so (sighs) that really put a rocket up me to never do any never waste an opportunity again to always tell people what you feel to do the thing that you want to do and never put anything off yeah and then when we're talking yeah this when my friends or family members or collaborators, oh, you're spending quite a lot of time with that person or that person. Yeah, because they make me feel good. And and we, we tell them, you make me feel really good and I'd like to spend more time with you. Um, but people are afraid to say that. You know, it's like I, I, I admire you for this and I love you for this and can we do this? And it's uh, because people hold back. They hold back on um, opening their hearts. They hold back on expressing themselves um, purely because of that fear of what people will think of them. And I said earlier, it's not what you are scared that people, what what you're scared of that they will think of, it's that you're scared of what you would think of that, that they would think of you. And so <laughs> what if we thought, well, you know, what if four out of ten people it was able that were able to what I do or what you do gave them a bit more permission, man. And then that has a ripple effect (laughs) versus holding back. We are what we share. We are what we share. I've got four questions that I finish up on. And the first one is what would be your number one confidence tip? Overall, it would be to practice building the callus. Confidence is a callus. Confidence is not a destination. 
But when you are in it, when you are facing uh, whatever adversity or whatever challenge or limitation, to access your breath first. Uh, we have the gut intelligence, the heart intelligence, and the mind intelligence. What connects all three intelligences? Our breath. Activate the breath so that you can go back into homeostasis, so that you can um, regulate yourself and go back into neutrality. Uh, that is how you can easy, uh, more easily tap into your confidence rather than being hijacked by fear and overwhelm or anxiety or whatever it is that you're feeling in the moment. And then to understand that it is also to follow the first law of the universe, which is the law of intention. So when you've been building the callus, when you've accessed the breath, and then when you have the intention that you are going to rock this occasion, you are going to pump it out and, and, and nail it versus the intention of, I'm going to fail. I know. I just know it because our brains and our bodies have a habit of proving us right. <laughs> and so then to access that intention and, you know, with, with the Kung Fu and with the energy work that I do, the power of intention changes the game, changes the game. And then if we're talking um, bigger picture, um, having confidence for life goals or um, uh, family goals or business goals to leverage it and tap into the peer group um, the law one of the first laws of the law of attraction is to become attractive I, I can look at someone's peer group and know what kind of person they're going to become you know that's the power of the peer group if you want to get super confident in uh, growth and achievement understand that your the quality of your peer group will affect the quality of your character and the quality of your results such good tips there. Thank you, Pauline. I think you gave us about 10. <laughs> now, is there a book that you've read? I know you are a prolific reader or even a, an inspirational quote that's helped you on your way in your confidence journey. The book that helped my confidence to further align spirituality with entrepreneurship, um, as well as general badassery, um, is a book called Thick Face, Black Heart by Ching Ning Chu. Um, she passed some years ago um, uh, of cancer. It was so funny. I read the book. I was so inspired. And I have this habit of uh, reaching out and going straight to the masters. And my friend and I were um, adamant that we were going to, she lived in San Fran. We tracked her down and we were going to go and, and knock on her door and say, hey, let's hang. <laughs> and then I discovered <laughs> that she died of cancer. Um, oh, so no. The, the book Thick Face, Black Heart, um, uh, she's a, a really, it, it really inspired me and gave me a lot of confidence that I can uh, combine spirituality with entrepreneurship and general badassery um, and it all makes sense because there are new ways of doing things now and new reasons for thinking and doing things differently. I'm going to look that up. I haven't heard of that one before and I'll link to There's that classic, in the show notes as well. Yeah, yeah. Now what do you do for pure joy, something that has no outcome attached to it? Um, I, I access, I deliberately access pure joy on a daily basis, you know, and so people um, who don't know me very well will say, you know, she doesn't take life seriously. She's free all the time. <laughs> she, you know, rolls around in a bikini most days. <laughs> quite accomplished you know and then for those who really know me will, will, will know that you know she takes life very seriously which is why she behaves the way she does 
Yes, yes. He takes life very seriously. And so um, if we understand that we are souls here to have the human experience, um, I am not one of those spiritual people where they have the expectation that I am going to be walking around in monk's robes, you know, eating nothing but lentils, sitting on some the bottom of some hill, um, you know, um, uh, meditating all day. You got the wrong gal. I'm here to experience the deliciousness of what it means to be human. And so for myself to access pure joy, I access nature's medicine every day. I'm at the frequency where I can access more of the gamma brainwave, the wave of inspiration, the wave of intuition and creation, so that I can access more of the um, alpha brainwave, the wave of manifestation. And so while I am prancing around in my bikini accessing nature's medicine, I am working to attract and magnetize the opportunities, magnetize the players. Um, and for um, pure sensorial um, delights, I love beautiful fabrics. Um, I eat delicious food. I drink delicious wine. I hang around delicious people. Oh, <laughs> that sounds delicious. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and Pauline, I've loved our chat so much, but finally, what are you working on right now in your own confidence journey to take you to where you next want to be in your life? I'm doing uh, two things. Uh, apart from the, the other stuff that I do, I'm a polymath. I do a whole lot of stuff. Um, one of the biggest things I'm doing, two things that I've never done before, um, I'm working on a national campaign um, to really help end homelessness in Australia. Um, Channel 9 is on board. Um, they, they understand the magnitude of the campaign. They're on board and they are um, backing it. Um, and so it's I've never um, presented to television stations before. <laughs> I've never um, uh, made the steps to incite and inspire um, all of Australia to help other human beings to do our part to push forward humanity. So that's one of my big confidence journeys at the moment to um, head into the unknown. What is unknown for me? Um, and then my new book and something else I've not done before either um, is called The Way of the Spiritual Man. And I'm wanting to create a new paradigm for my son who's now 11 and for my daughter who's now 16 to really create a new landscape for them so that they can better navigate um, what it means to be a man in this very new world and what it means to um, be a woman um, alongside a man in this very new world because the old ways aren't working. Um, the confidence journey there is, hey, I'm a small Asian woman writing about men's work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be upsetting a lot of paradigms. You know, what do you mean you're not a feminist, Pauline? I'm not. I love men. I love women. I understand that the feminist movement was very, very necessary uh, for what was the times, but it's no longer sufficient for this time that we are living in. So um, that consistent need to evolve and step into the unknown. Ah, well, I'm so grateful to you for sharing all of your wisdom with us today and for doing so in the nude. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pauline. <laughs> I have a shawl on. It's turquoise. <laughs> <laughs> Stay
Stay connected by following Claiming Your Confidence or me, Katrina Blowers, on Instagram. For more information on this or other episodes, head to katrinablowers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and make sure you share it with anyone you think would benefit from a confidence pick-me-up. Claiming Your Confidence is created and produced by me, Katrina Blowers. Audio, thanks to Term 6 Podcast Productions. I hope you're having a great week. Thank you for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.